Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, hello, Canada. It's Tony here. We've got a special edition of Canadian Common Sense today, and we are actually going to be one-on-one -on -one in studio with Ken Gray, who is the leader of the Saskatchewan Progressive Conservative Party. So, uh, Ken, welcome to Canadian Common Sense. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And happy to have you. So, um, when I tend to interview people, I usually just sort of organically let the questions fall into themselves. Mm -hmm. But in this case, uh, when I was mentioning to our co-host, Lewis, that I was going to be interviewing you mm -hmm. and then he texted me back about an hour later and said wait a minute i thought the sas party was the conservative party in saskatchewan <laughs> so i thought okay you've probably been asked this before but how yes. about we go back to 1997 and do just a kind of a brief history lesson of how sure. this all breaks down uh basically what happened back in uh, you know everybody knows that the uh, uh saskatchewan pc party back in the uh, late 90s uh some MLAs in the in the legislature uh, with with the Liberals and the and the PCs came together and uh, brokered the uh, Saskatchewan Party, and there was a there was a requirement in that deal that uh, that uh, the uh, PC party would uh, kind of go into hiatus, go to sleep for a little while. It would maintain its registration so that during that period there would be some paper candidates to enable it to stay viable with election Saskatchewan. But uh, the the deal was, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head just how many years it was, but uh, um, the party was to remain asleep while the SAS party uh, unified the right-wing vote, I guess you could call it, and uh, took down the NDP. Um, the party came out of hiatus in um, 2006 and um, ran some candidates in 2007. Uh, ran more candidates in, uh, in the subsequent elections in 2011 and uh, 2016. And uh, Rick Swenson was uh, the first leader that was uh, of the party after the hiatus. And uh, he resigned in 2018. Uh, there was a leadership convention and uh, I ran and uh, became the second leader of the PC party uh, since they uh, since the reemergence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, good. So there's a quick and dirty yeah, history. So that's, now the, that's the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, no, and that, that's fantastic. And I, I do want to touch on, um, I've been following you on Facebook, and I've, mm -hmm. I've actually quite, get, I get quite amused when you talk about the liberal SAS party. Yeah. I know you obviously <laughs> are saying that on purpose. Yeah. And you've pitched the Progressive Conservative Party as the, the true conservative. Yeah. So uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, well, it's not only just a pitch, it's really where I want to take the party. Uh, I think that um, uh, my, myself, I, I, I never really was sold that the, uh, that the SAS party was totally committed to the conservative movement. I think that because they are uh, a merger or a, a brokered party between liberals and, uh, and conservatives, uh, that in, in, in many respects they have to uh, stay true to their liberal uh, component as well. And that has brought us some uh, pretty high spending, uh, uh, high spending on the part of this government. Um, we, you know, we've, we've had, uh, uh, we have a $24 billion debt right now in this province. 
according to the government's own uh, budget uh, estimates, our uh, debt, to, uh, debt to GDP ratio in Saskatchewan is actually higher than what Rachel Notley's NDP was in Alberta. Oh, uh, that's that's significant. So um, uh, one of the, you know, the third highest uh, expenditure in the last budget was actually uh, servicing our debt. So put putting those things together, uh, to me, that's not the sign of a conservative government. I think when Brad Wall started, uh, he had the right idea. He actually brought the accumulated debt down by about $11 billion in the first couple of years, which is great. That's what you do when, the, when, when times are good and there's money coming into the coffers. Let's eliminate the debt. That's exactly where Ralph Klein went in Alberta. Uh, they eliminated the debt. Um, uh, but something, went hap something happened, and uh, all of a sudden the, the SAS party became a very high-spending government. And uh, uh, at the end of the day, we've seen... Uh, Although they haven't increased income taxes, they've increased other taxes in terms of uh, sales taxes on on, uh, on the people of Saskatchewan. I see these as being anti-conservative, uh, in my opinion. I think that when you have a government that is uh, looking at big spending intervention in the economy, like they have done as well, uh, with respect to the carbon capture program is one example. They've tried to intervene in the economy, the global transportation hub. Why is the government buying a big warehouse outside of Regina or building a big warehouse? Um, these are things that should have been left to the private sector, not to the government. But for some reason, we see this government embarking upon some very interventionist uh, uh, projects. And to me, that concerns me as a conservative. No, I can understand that. And it's uh, actually, I think what I want to do is, is we'll move away from policy for a sec. Because you touched mm -hmm. on something that I've that has baffled me for years. And you mentioned that Ralph Klein, he had a vision yep. to pay down Alberta's debt yep. and eventually succeeded. Yep. I mean, history will still judge how the, you know, the way he went about it. That's right. Yep. And Brad Wall did some very good things on Saskatchewan's <clears throat> debt. Yeah. And it just, it's, it's blown my mind. And I've been, I've been following politics and involved for about 30 years now. And yeah, the trend continues to repeat itself where a government comes in from the right yep. and they, they manage to cut spending and get debt under control and tend to, yeah. Turn, the, turn the tide favorable for economies, and then they drift left yes. once their goals have been achieved. And, it, and it, I've seen it happen over and over again, yeah. not federally and provincially. Um, do you have a theory on why that happens? I, I, the only thing I can think of is that at the end of the day, uh, when politicians get in, they, they like to uh, save their own political hide. And so maybe what they feel they're doing by uh, using the provincial treasury as uh, as a means to um, create jobs is it's it becomes a a desperation uh, thing on the part of some of these governments. That's the only thing I can really think of. Um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, maybe, uh, and I think the SAS party has been guilty of trying to buy some votes, and uh, they have been uh, using the provincial treasury to try to create some jobs and and to create a legacy. I think that. Uh, uh, you know, they, this has been a big shiny thing kind of government. They they like their big shiny things, and they want to be able to point and say, "Look, we built that." Uh, unfortunately, the GTH failed, and now it's a big albatross on the uh, taxpayers of Saskatchewan. We're bleeding away more money annually on uh, on the global transportation hub than we ever did with subsidies to Saskatchewan Transportation Company. Um, you know, and that's that's significant. I think so. Yeah, well, good point, and I. Uh... I've often wondered because 
it just seems to happen so often with so many parties. I mean, yeah. with the Ralph Klein government in, yeah. in Alberta, they stopped being conservative yeah. in the early 2000s. Yeah. And it seemed like once the debt was paid off, there was no longer a rudder on the ship. And That's right. And yeah. suddenly Ralph Klein started talking about smart debt and smart borrowing. And, <laughs> and I thought, well, where is this all coming from? Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, like I say, in Saskatchewan, you've had Brad Wall, who did a lot of really good things on the debt. Yeah. And then suddenly you let off on the gas it, and then you find your just, hospital waiting lists are going up again. Just and, went the other way, other direction. And uh, it, it's really too bad because I, you know, I had some optimism for that government when it came in uh, in 2007. I was kind of on a wait and see uh, process when they first came to government. Um, I, I, I enjoyed what they did with in terms of uh, changing some of the labor laws when they first came into power. I thought those were uh, uh, those were a step in the right direction because under the NDP and and we would face that again if we had another NDP government is uh, the uh, the the labor laws would be balanced towards the uh, would be unbalanced towards the uh, labor unions. So I thought it was a it was a good tilt uh, that uh, the government did to kind of equalize that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we were uh, you know uh, are we better off than we were. 12 years ago when they first came to government, I think it's debatable. Uh, especially, I, th I still believe, and I said this to one other reporter one time, I think we're one, uh, one significant interest rate hike away from some real calamity in this province right now. Uh, we saw it just with, uh, you know, when, when oil kind of dried up in this province uh, as, a, as a main revenue source, it, it threw the uh, provincial economy into, uh, or the provincial treasury into a mess. What's going to happen when the same thing happens if there's uh, interest rate hikes that we, we can't afford? Uh, I'm, I'm really fearful of that. Yeah, well, actually, in, uh, for those who, who listen to the show regularly, Lewis and I were referencing an Ipsos poll last mm -hmm. week or two weeks ago that had suggested 29% of Canadians are broke already. Yep. Like They barely can make their yep. commitments, which is minimum payments on credit cards. That's and right. They barely can make their mortgage or their rent. Yep. A further 19% are within $200 a month of, exactly. that, of of not being able to pay their bills. That's right. So you're dealing with half of Canadians yeah. who are just barely scraping by. Absolutely. So, and yeah, I mean, that was one of our things. Okay, if an interest rate hike goes up or the yeah. economy takes a further turn to the south, yeah. you've got half your population that's, that's, that, that can't, can't make it Can't anymore. afford it, exactly. And, you know, an interesting statistic came out uh, just, uh, it was either last week or... I can't, uh, it, was, it was. I think it was just last week, sometime, that uh, Saskatchewan's uh, bankruptcies um, have actually, or Saskatchewan bankruptcies are up, and I can't remember the percent, but uh, bankruptcies are up in our province right now. Uh, so too were uh, unemployment claims. Uh, claims, uh, initial claims for uh, unemployment insurance are up eleven percent in Saskatchewan last year, and that's yeah. that's a that's a significant stat too. So you combine that with the statistics you just mentioned about people living pretty much paycheck to paycheck or worse. Um, you know, if government has to start looking at uh, increasing the taps or increasing the uh, taking more money from us to start paying for these debts that they're accumulating, it's going to drive more and more people towards bankruptcy. And that's that's a really scary trend, too. Yeah, well, and insolvency is actually, you know, in, uh, in Alberta are at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. And in Canada-wide, insolvencies are as high as the second highest they've been in history yeah only second to the great recession yeah which was only 12 years ago yeah so i mean we're as lewis had said in his interview with mp dan albus mm -hmm. that you've got okay half of us are 
$200 a month or less away yeah. from insolvency. Well, what about when you get over that 50% yeah. mark and now maybe it's 300 or 400? Exactly. So now just uh, a major car repair yeah. is going to set you back for the, that one Absolutely. month. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, God forbid you get your vehicle written off and yeah. have to buy another one. Yeah. There's going to be people that can't. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's a re it's really scary right now. I think uh, when it comes to uh, to our economy, it's a very fragile state. And regardless of what uh, uh, you know, the South Party is putting out some statistics that we're that we're we're doing so well. But I mean, it just doesn't seem to jive with uh, what we're seeing out on the doorstep. Myself. No, exactly. And I think we'll we'll segue into the economy, and our resource economy right now. It's. It's a provincial economy, but there's been some ver some national decisions and national yeah. events that have really affected our provincial economy. So I want to touch on some of those. Sure. Um, the first one I want to hit on is we've had just about 70 miles to the southeast of where you and I are right now. Mm -hmm. We've had two train derailments in oh, two yeah. months yeah. and the same 10 kilometer patch of land. Yeah. Um, two trains carrying, carrying oil that have derailed caused a major fire and evacuations yeah. of the village of Guernsey. That's right. And so of course my cynical friends and I always say, I wonder if there's some other way we could transport oil. I don't know. Is there some, is, wish there was some way we could like just put it into a pipe and let it flow. Like let, like know. underground so we wouldn't have to worry about uh, <laughs> yeah, train know. tracks breaking. I know. That's just too radical, I think. It, it does yeah. seem to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The the whole this whole issue with uh, what's going on with our pipelines. Uh, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is a, a, an issue for the good of the country. And under the Constitution, uh, the Constitution does give the federal government the power to to enact that if something is good for the uh, for for the good of our economy and good of our country, the government, federal government, should have the right to do it. So they really should be just growing a set to part, you know, pardon the bad. Uh, no, you're metaphor, right. But uh, to and, and to enforce that, enforce the Constitution, and that's. Uh, I, I think it's uh, Section ninety two or something of it the is, Constitution yeah. that uh, that gives the um, uh, gives the federal government the power to do that. And uh, why they're not doing it, I don't know. Probably because uh, the anti oil lobbyists are uh, pretty good contributors to the federal Liberal Party. I don't know. It's it, it's it's mind boggling, really, because uh, this is, we we should be in this country looking at trying to make ourselves self sufficient. Uh, one of the things that I uh, would like to do with Saskatchewan, uh, if I were to ever be given the opportunity and the honor to be the premier, would be to make us self-sufficient energy-wise. And uh, I think to a large degree we are, but we could we could certainly uh, make that even better in terms of uh, other forms of uh, energy power being generated right here in the province. Uh, but why we're not doing it nationally, I don't know. And it seems like the government is actually putting a big block up to make sure it does not happen. And, and that that concerns me. I think that uh, we really need some leadership at the federal level to realize that uh, we we have to be self sufficient as a country. We have yeah. the ability. Why why aren't we doing it? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And actually, yeah. that is something I want to touch on uh, a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those who are regular listeners to the show, our last episode actually was a rant of with where I. <laughs> Sounded off a little bit about leadership, so <laughs> yeah. I'll be quite yeah. excited to talk that in a bit. But I'll stick with the economy here. And um, mm -hmm. when we we got trains that are a mile and a half long and it's yeah. all oil cars, <clears throat> yeah. And unfortunately in Saskatchewan, 
we have a lot of other products that also need some rail capacity that have now taken a back seat. Yeah. And we've got a lot of inland grain terminals that are sitting full that can't take any more Absolutely product in. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And if the potash industry was up at full capacity, we'd mm -hmm. have a ton of rail cars for potash yeah. that would be sitting unable to get to the port of Vancouver. That's right. So um, as a provincial government, what clout do we have to try and get some of these industries Get, get them moving. Get them moving. Uh, that's a good question. And again, I think it uh, really just comes uh, comes down to uh, uh, forcing the government of Canada to to utilize that uh, that provision in the constitution. That uh, you know, if there's holdups, a lot of a lot. Of, uh, it seems that today there's a lot of uh, issues with respect to uh, treaty and uh, and uh, movement of certain products through uh, through treaty land. Uh, again, it just comes down to the federal government having the, and maybe what we have to do is look at, as as a provincial government if if the government's not living up to its uh, uh, obligations under the Charter uh, the Canadian Constitution that we have to maybe take them to court and challenge them on it and say you know look you know you 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 have this provision in the Constitution that gives you the authority to make these decisions why aren't you why aren't you do well, something about it. Yeah. So, so that's an angle I actually hadn't thought of before. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah that's force their hand. That... Yeah, I think I think there there has to be a little more forcing of the hands, and you know, I, you know, the government is trying to do that in a certain way, and I, I, I think in with with respect to the carbon tax, I I don't know how successful they're going to be on their court challenge of the carbon tax. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't judge. Yeah, but uh, I I think that. When the Constitution gives the federal government the right to do something in the national interest and they're not doing it, when it's clearly in the national interest, that's when provinces should be standing up to them and say, look, look Gabriel, you know, yeah. this is this is harming our area. You would, the people in the east would stand to benefit from our resources. Let's let's just remove the politics and just do what's good for the national good. And, and uh to me, it's uh, they're looking a win-win in the face and saying, "Yeah, no, we don't want either." <laughs> right? <laughs> Doesn't yeah. make any sense. Now you talk about carbon tax, mm -hmm. and actually, Saskatchewan was a leader, and for a while, we stood alone in yeah. resisting the carbon tax yeah. federally. And unfortunately, it was imposed upon us. Yeah. And eventually, other provinces came on board and yeah. decided they would would join us in, in challenging the carbon tax. Yeah. So, as a province, I mean, there's obviously other things we can do than just simply tax our citizens. Yeah. And we realize that here in Saskatchewan, it's a, with, but a carbon tax unfortunately has been forced upon us. Yeah. What else can we do as a province to give the taxpayers a break? Yeah. Right now, I, uh, you're right, taxes have gone up, and yeah. it's not that PST has gone up by raw numbers, yeah. but now it's being applied to more and more things. That's right. So it's still costing us more money. Yeah. And the big elephant in the room is the healthcare system, which yeah. is still 41% of our budget. That's right. Um, where does the government cut back a little bit so the citizens can get a break? Because you, you know, if, as soon as you say, I want to cut healthcare yeah. spending, it's going to be a, there's going to be a riot. <laughs> That's so. right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, address this in two ways. First of all, uh, I think there are ways that we could have mitigated the, uh, uh, the cost of the uh, carbon tax on the, on the citizen right here. <laughs> Uh, and that simply would be, have been to uh, uh, proportionally reduce the per current provincial sales tax on gasoline that does exist uh, by the same amount. It would have been a wash for the consumer then. 
you know, we would have had to have made the agreement with the federal government to, to actually collect that money, which is what they wanted us to do in the first place. They, they wanted us to collect that. So we could have collected that, reduced the provincial sales tax by the same amount. It would have been the same difference and it wouldn't have been the, the hit to the consumer that it was. That's just, you know, again, maybe a, a simple bus driver approach to, <laughs> to how right. you deal with these. But I mean, if, you're, if, if your choice is to hammer people with, uh, with more taxes or you have the opportunity to, to, to mitigate it and make it uh, more palatable to them, why would you not make it more palatable to them? Uh, we're being, I, we still could have taken them to court had we done that. There, there was nothing, nothing saying that, uh, that, uh, that we could not have sued them anyhow. Uh, over this, uh, by by doing this, we weren't accepting it. We were just dealing with what was forced upon us. So, right. uh, so so that's that's my theory on on how that should have been handled. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we have to think about the families out there. You know, uh, uh, I, I'm an empty nester now, but uh, so I I don't have the same type of um, uh, expenses that young families do, but. Uh, I know that when I was a father, any time that our expenses went up, it it hurt, and it was yeah. it was hard to make ends meet when you're just working on a on a average income in this province. Uh, I can't imagine uh, having to uh, you know the the sales taxes now are equivalent to what they were back in the Romano days, and you put that into the context of what this government promised in 2007. It's very different, very different than what they were said they would do. Right. So it's uh, I, I feel for the families now that have to struggle with uh, taxes on on insurance, taxes on uh, uh, taxes on uh, children's clothing. You know, it, it's it's it all all adds up, and that's why I find it priceless that somehow the government feels that the carbon tax is a big job killing tax when they've actually increased taxes more than the carbon tax. Right. So. Well, and speaking of the carbon tax, I mean, you grew up in rural Saskatchewan. Yep. I grew up in rural Alberta, so we're yep. not, neither of us are very far away from, That's from right. farmers that we know. Yep. And the carbon tax is killing farmers. Yeah, um, absolutely it is. Premier Scott Moe, with the small-scale farm that he has, yep. uh, his grain drying costs went up by $6,000 this last right. fall just absolutely. because of the carbon tax. Absolutely. So when you look at some of these other farmers who have got, you know, hundreds of thousands of yep. acres, that's, uh, that's killing them. It's a huge hit. Huge, huge hit to rural Saskatchewan. And, yeah, and you know, and again, it's it's something that uh, the the province could have looked at doing some some means to mitigate it on their own end, and, yeah. and they didn't. I understand that uh, the provincial budget is tight now. Um, this government has committed to some some big spending projects, so it's it's tough. And like you say, it's tough to go and say you know, you can't have you can't have your new hospital in. Yorkton now because we, we just can't afford it. It's tough to make those statements. Uh, at the end of the day, that's part of what leadership is too. You got to be able to uh, to assess what's uh, what's working and what's not. And uh, when you start taking money out of rural Saskatchewan, just getting hit hard now as it is anyhow, um, with uh, businesses drying up and leaving, and uh, it's it's it makes it even more difficult when farmers are. Taken that when government is taking money out of the hands of our farmers uh, to that degree, that's money that could have been spent in those communities. No, absolutely right. Yeah. And um, so now we'll stick with that. We've got uh, 
the tax load is obviously rather high on Saskatchewanians, yeah. and you're right, it's, it's, it is in order to pay for a lot of the big promises that yeah. uh, the Saskatchewan party government has made. Yeah. And I won't even say a lot of them are bad investments, yeah. but we need to be smart about it. So how it is, uh, as the Ken Gray government in, in this year, 2020, we've got an election coming up this fall. Yeah. What does a progressive conservative government do to try to yeah. reduce some of the spending? Yeah, the costs. Well, one of the one of the things that we're, we're we've been very concerned about uh, is uh, just some of the bad deals that we've got into in Saskatchewan. Um, we you know we we would have to look and see just what exactly is the for example the Regina bypass going to be costing us over the years. There's a thirty year agreement there, so we have to determine. Are these good deals for the people of Saskatchewan? We don't know. We we really don't know. Um, the same thing, uh, I guess, can also be applied to um, uh, the New West Partnership that was signed a few years ago. That was an agreement between the, the four western provinces. Uh, there's there's some stipulations in there that do concern me, um, specifically that uh, uh, any uh, any um, project that's being uh, built by by the provincial government, municipal government school boards, universities, anybody who receives public funding in, in the province of Saskatchewan has to tender out uh, any contract over, I think it was, what, $10,000 uh, to to the four western provinces. Now, maybe at the end of the day, those, those, those contracts might actually save those organizations money, and that's fine. I'm all in favor of that. But at the same time, if we're going to be forcing these levels of government to take our jobs or take our our investment money send it out of province without any ability to um, say no we would rather have Joe Blow from Meacham Saskatchewan build this road in the area and that'll give the people in Meacham you know that work for Joe Blow's company the opportunity to have some jobs and 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 maybe help kickstart their company a little bit. We've lost that ability. And I, I look in the city of Regina and I see, you know, there's there's tree companies, for example, tree pruning companies that exist in the city of Regina. The city of Regina had to contract out that service and brought in a, a large corporation from Ontario, bringing in people from outside of the city of Regina to actually do tree pruning in the last fall. So there again, We've lost some uh, lost some potential jobs. I realize it's government money, but at the same time, these are these are contracts that had Saskatchewan companies been offered in the first place, or been you know even if the government would have had the opportunity to say we would prefer you to do this, uh, but they lost that under the New West Partnership. They lost that ability to say we're gonna we're gonna deal with Saskatchewan. We're gonna prioritize Saskatchewan businesses. We can't do that now. So I think that's one thing. We have to look at some of the bad deals that have come up and, and how we can correct those bad deals and uh, kind of do what Donald Trump did and say, you know, look, this doesn't make sense. This is, this is a really ridiculous deal. It's hurting our people. Uh, we got to change this. And, and I, I don't think that there's any problem with, uh, with doing the same sort of thing here when, uh, when we look at bad, bad deals in Saskatchewan. So. Right. Yeah, see it. I'm kind of torn on that. Like, I I like the idea of the New West Partnership because I do mm -hmm. like the competitive nature. Absolutely, I do too. However, when the big fire hit Fort McMurray and Ontario companies came in and, and did yep. all the cleanup and did the rebuilding and other provinces' companies were shut out, mm -hmm. 
that's when it, the red flags went up for me. And yeah. I, I realized yeah. that that was a federal initiative, but yeah. no Alberta companies were able to uh, get in on this. That's right. And then there was the tax to come on drywall yeah. products that only affected Western Canada, not Ontario and Quebec. <laughs> Didn't know that. Yeah, wow. it was a, yeah, there was a drywall tax and it was a tariff that was levied only on Western Canada. Oh. And so then, of course, that benefited those Ontario companies even more to bring the drywall in from Oh, I didn't east. know that. Wow. I and missed that one. Yeah. So, I mean, that was uh, another punch yeah. in the stomach for oh, Alberta absolutely. companies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, Western Canadian companies in general. So, it's things like that. Like, I don't, like I say, I like the competitive nature yeah. of, you know, make your best make your best bid and come on in. And I want to believe that some of these companies who come in from BC or Alberta will still hire some local talent. Yeah. Most I mean, cases, they don't. Okay, see that. Pull, pull up to, to the, uh, a friend of mine lives just north of uh, Regina, and uh, they were getting a lot of road construction done, which is good. I'm glad they're doing some road construction. Yeah. That's, we need that in we this do. province. But she pulled up, and she she was she was stopped uh, by the uh, flags person there to, that she couldn't go, and so she was just chit chatting with this young woman, and she said, "Oh, so uh, where are you? Where are you guys from? I don't recognize you from the area." And uh, this uh, this woman said, "Oh, I'm from Winnipeg." Oh, what 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 brought you out here? Oh, I'm just here working. We're, we're we'll be going back to Winnipeg when the project's done. Right. And she goes, "We? I mean, you're all from Winnipeg? Yeah, we're, we're a Manitoba company. So we have Manitoba companies who are coming in and doing road repair work in Saskatchewan, while Joe blows uh, road construction outfit in." Uh, in Meacham, Saskatchewan, is sitting idle. Uh, to me, that's wrong. I think that with these agreements, if I have no problem if a local government wants to bid the project nationwide, as far as, far as I'm concerned. If they want to do that and that's how they want to do their business, great, go ahead and do that. But I think they should still have the opportunity to say, no, we need to get this done fast. We're prepared to pay Joe Blow and Meacham, Saskatchewan. The money to do it and and to keep uh, some of the jobs going here i i i think that we should have that latitude yeah. look after our own people first right um, no, i think there's there's yeah. merit to that that's yeah. for sure it, yeah. uh, it does support your own tax base yeah so. exactly all right so now um because we've got a resurging pc party in saskatchewan mm -hmm. um i've experienced with starting political parties in alberta and so i gotta ask how you how you avoid <laughs> getting the the old cranks, the conspiracy theorists, the single-issue <laughs> candidates. Yeah. Um, how, how you weed them out, or do you just accept them and deal with them? Uh, I, I, I'm sure you've met some already. I, I have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've. I've met met quite a few folks, and uh, and actually, you know, I, I I think deep down we all want to do the what's best for the province of Saskatchewan. There's some people who have their you know the social conservatives have their hobby horse. Uh, they're upset with the uh, current government now, uh, so they're they're looking at us, and and uh, you know uh, from my perspective, uh, if you're as long as you're someone who I consider myself more of a, of, a, of an economic nationalist myself, um, I believe in, in free enterprise. I believe that uh, that we should be looking out for our own own people first. And as long as you're good with those uh, with those kind of qualities, we'll we'll get along fine. I think even a, a social conservative, uh, even though they might have their hobby horse, or if there's a, a if there's a Saskatchewan nationalist in the group who might ultimately see the uh, the, the prize being that we we're our own state in Western Canada, if you can still recognize that uh, that uh, 
that a Ken Gray, uh, progressive conservative party, is one that's going to look at uh, financial freedom and uh, from uh, or financial freedom for ourselves. Um, then I think we'll we'll be fine. Um, you know, uh, I I always let people uh, give uh, my candidates uh, people that are going to run for me the latitude to talk their heart as well. I think that that's important. Um, so. Uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a separatist. Uh, I never have been. I, I I do love this country. I think it has a lot of warts and it needs a lot of work. <laughs> and I absolutely sympathize with the separatist movement uh, in those in that regard. But I think that we're stronger together as a country. And uh, we just uh, we need to really uh, we need to make some structural changes. Uh, I think giving more more autonomy to uh, to our provinces uh, to to uh, do things that are uh, important to our regions uh, and uh, Amen to that. I, I think yeah. that that would be a, a real step forward that we could take without without um, you know necessarily cutting the cutting the ties off altogether. Right. So you mentioned that uh, you would let candidates speak their heart. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with Charles Adler or not, but he's yeah. uh, he has used the term before bozo eruption. Yeah. <laughs> so now, uh, so if you let a candidate speak their heart, how do you kind of rein well, in those bozo eruptions? Uh, again, um, and, and I would just um, say to them, uh, you know, I make it point cl- point blank to the candidate. I want to know uh, when I when I do interview them, I say, you know, is there something out there? You know, we'll we'll have a talk about uh, their their pet project and uh, you know, and maybe how they can present it and. Uh, and hopefully that'll eliminate the bozo bozo eruptions okay. out there. Yeah, but uh, uh, you know, I, I look at what happened to Sheer in the last federal election with the whole uh, uh, pro-life uh, movement uh, and how uh, how he got. Uh, it was almost like he was scared to to say what he really was. It, it, it almost seemed like he was surprised by the question. Yeah, and, yeah, and he didn't know how to handle it. And, yeah. And so uh, I want people to be able to speak freely in that respect if they really believe that. You know, I, I don't want our candidates running out saying, I want to see the destruction of Canada. I don't, I don't want to see that. But yeah. at the same time, we'll have the, the conversation with them. Okay, how can we best talk about this um, so that it, um, it it doesn't come across wrong in the press? Because the, we all know the mainstream media picks up things and they, they run with it. And, and I think that's where uh, where Andrew went wrong. Um, he um, he was just too scared. He was just too scared to to commit one way or the other to an issue, and and he was kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, and uh, you know, unfortunately, it hurt him. Uh, it right. hurt. Uh, we, you can't look like a strong leader if you're waffling on your own beliefs. And uh, that's, well, that's and he happened. of all people should understand that the mainstream media or any real journalism. Yeah. Journalists, I should say, in this country are all left wing. Yeah, that's and, right. I mean, there really is no right wing media <laughs> to speak of. Exactly. So yeah. he, he got, he's got to know. I mean, I remember when uh, we started the Alberta First Party twenty mm-hmm. odd years ago. Mm-hmm. One of our our founding fathers was a reformer, and he's oh yes. And he said flat out, when the election comes, they're going to hit you on health care. They're going to hit yep. you on racism. They're going to yep. hit you on yep. on abortion. Yeah. And I mean, this has gone on for. All of our lifetimes. Absolutely. So it's not like this should be a surprise to anybody. Yeah. So that's why I was kind of curious. I mean, you're going to get that bozo eruption. Yeah. You're going to get the 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 uh, the, the Richard Descaries of the yeah. uh, movement who you know yeah. completely hit you from uh, out of right field. That's and, right. Yeah. 
I know like one of the things that I've been and uh, I had uh, with uh, just some of our internal discussions of how to deal with it is uh, I do uh, you know I'm, I'm not anti-immigrant but I'm I, I have a problem with the way this government has been handling its uh, immigration policy yeah. to me uh, and and so we, we were struggling how do we do this without trying to sound you know uh, you guys are a bunch of racists and then we yeah. just kind of came to the conclusion they're going to call us that anyhow you know, I we we sent out some uh, social media posts, and I had people, you know, to a, to a post that said, "Hi, my name is Ken Gray." Some people were saying, "Oh, another conservative racist," you know. So it it, it doesn't matter. I mean, if, right. if you're if you're on the if you're on the right of the political spectrum, the left is going to call you all sorts of names. That, and, that's uh, right. And we just got to get used to it. So uh, we just we decided we put out a policy uh, statement on on how the provincial government is now using immigration to uh, to keep its political narrative of uh, the provinces growing. I don't know if you're we we did the mathematics on uh, on people coming in versus leaving the province, and took away the uh, took away the number of people that came in from other countries in terms from from the provincial immigration program. We actually had a net loss of residents in this province. Oh, I did not know a lot, that. A lot of people didn't know that. The government wants another two hundred thousand uh, immigrants into this province, and you know, again, there's there's a number of problems that that can cause uh, in terms of you know where are they going to live, where are they going to work, where are they going to go to school, because um, we already have schools overcrowded here. So yeah. what's how is that going to? But at the same time. Um, we're we're looking at a government that's really just using it more as a as a political tool, so they can continue the narrative of well, Saskatchewan's population continues to grow. We actually had a net loss of um, uh, of naturalized Canadians leaving Saskatchewan, yeah, but that that's not reported, right. and uh, so so it concerns me that we're just going to bring in people just because because we want to keep the political story alive, right. And uh, I think that when we're when we're looking at immigration, it really has to be a to either fill a need or to create a, to to bring in money. Uh, and I'm not you know, I'm saying that right up. I mean, uh, we want investment. We want investment to come to this province. Right. So we should be we. I have no problem looking at immigration as a, as a means to bring in investment to this province. That's wonderful. It brings jobs. It brings opportunity. Um, but when we're bringing over people, and this is happening now, where they cannot find work, and they end up going on, on to social assistance, that's happening, or they, or they become Uber drivers. Right. You know, that, there's just not, there's not the jobs there now to facilitate the kind of growth that the premier's envisioning. And so that, that does concern me because it puts an additional strain on our provincial infrastructures like I said, on our schools, our hospitals, uh, right. everything. And so we really need to be smart about how we look at immigration. I don't think doing it to feed a political narrative is necessarily very smart. So, so you, would you be in favor of a Quebec model where they have full control of their immigration? Yeah, and, absolutely. Because that's, yeah. a, that's a model that I've, I've, I've agreed with ever since I, yeah. I discovered it existed. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think, I think it's um, doing it wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean they've got they've got the tools, but they uh, they followed a political agenda at least you know fifteen twenty years ago, mm -hmm. where they were bringing in as many people from Haiti and uh, yeah. Tunisia as they could because they spoke yeah. French. And that's thought, right. Well, 
I get that you want to maintain your French culture, but you've also got to yes. balance that, like you say, with your economic needs. Exactly, and, the economic reality. And unfortunately, Quebec is now reaping some of the, you know, the, the, yeah. the negatives of that's that decision. Right. And, that's right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and that's that's a good part. And, and part of uh, what I'm trying to push for, I, I alluded it to her earlier, is uh, just more provincial autonomy. Right. And uh, we've had a longstanding policy in our party uh, that we would have a provincial police force. Um, I think that that's a good, again, that's something that Ralph Klein, I think, even envisioned back in the day in Alberta. So uh, it's something that would cost a lot of money and we would have to really look at. But there, there have been some folks who have suggested that for what we're getting bang for buck from the RCMP, we could probably put together our own uh, provincial police force. Well, I was going to say, we, not... we contract the RCMP already. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the, right. to contract our own provincial police force, I yeah. don't know what cost us. That much a lot more. more. Exactly. And yeah. Honestly, we've got the Saskatchewan Highway Patrol now, so I think yeah. we're starting down that road where we could right. quite easily expand that. Yeah, and and, and I think that's where when the when the government kind of moved towards um, giving the conservation officers the opportunity to do that too, right. that was a, a step in that direction. But I think these these niches of trying to give us a little more autonomy from Ottawa, I think, is is a good step, and I think yeah. it's a good step for the province. Uh, and for the country, that that all provinces can go that direction. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about economy and the environment. Yeah, and I'm going to segue that into to a bigger issue afterward. But okay, we uh, we can talk about power generation, in Saskatchewan. One yeah. of the big benefits that um, Premier Mo has talked about is our carbon sequestration in Estevan. Yeah, clean coal technology, and I'm and I'm for it. Yeah. But why the hell are we not talking about nuclear power in Saskatchewan? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, very, two very good points. And uh, I'm happy the Premier has finally started talking about nuclear power. Uh, I've heard him talk about small modular reactors. Small modular reactors yeah. is where they're looking at going. And uh, I think they've, they've, they struck some sort of an agreement with uh, Ontario and... Um, there was one other province, I think. Oh, too. oh yeah, New Brunswick. New Brunswick, that's, right. that's yeah, what it was. I did yeah. hear that. Yeah. yeah, they struck some agreement with them to to explore it further. And I think I think that's good, considering that we're the largest potash you know, uh, miner in the uh, mining mm -hmm. province Uran in the Yeah, we've world. got all this uranium in the, yeah. in the north. And, uh, yeah, and we're not even utilizing it. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the carbon, uh, carbon capture sequestration thing, uh, to me, that's been... Um, and uh, the folks... My 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 members down in Winnip uh, down in Estevan actually they uh, they do get upset with me. I I think it's a great idea too. I don't get me wrong, um, but I, I think the way that the government has done it, uh, it, it, it again has been just kind of another boondoggle. And uh, my 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 again just being the free enterpriser I am I. I had issues with the government sinking so much money into this project. Yeah, uh, and it's a project now that we've we've actually. Uh, it, it's been a money loser ever since. Saskatchewan has the second highest electricity rates in the in the country now. I don't know if people realize that. I didn't. But again, yeah. add that to our our high taxation. We have the second highest rates behind Prince Prince Edward Island. Oh boy! And uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, we have to keep up with the uh, infrastructure demands of uh, of the carbon capture program. I think anyhow. Right. Uh, it's it's placed an incredible strain on on SAS power, um, so so that concerns me. And I, and I again going back to bad SAS party deals. I would like to see if there's some way we can divest ourselves of this so that it's not costing us so much. 
I understand the economic need in the area, um, but this is really hurting the province, I think. Uh, again, just from a, from a government investment initiative, I think that it was a huge mistake. So are you uh, in favor of the nuclear option? Or? Yes, uh, I am. Yeah, I am. And I think that we should be uh, looking at... Uh, my, my sense is um, uh, we've got a couple of problems going on in the province right now. And uh, uh, one of the things that I have learned is that our infrastructure, uh, our, our, line, sorry, our power line infrastructure in our province is so aged now that we couldn't even accept any more additional uh, oh. power. Yeah. That, that's it's because of the, part of the reason why we haven't gone down the nuclear road is because we don't have the capacity in our system to accept it. Oh, wow. So that being the case, we have some real significant issues with SAS power, such a small you know, compared to the other companies in the world. SAS power is a pretty small company. Oh, yeah. You know, we're not talking a huge company. So we've got some pretty huge infrastructure projects. Is this the time that we start opening opening it up some private initiatives to come in and try to deal with some of this? Quite possibly. I don't know. But um, at, at some rate, at any rate, we need some solutions to that infrastructure problem before we can tackle bringing in another line of uh, additional power. Okay. And uh, so that was actually a, a, a big topic that was discussed at the SUMA convention uh, last week oh, in okay. China. So it's it's something that, uh, that we really need to really need to look at. Part of the problem with net metering as well was was the same problem is that if too much of it came onto the line, SAS Power's um, infrastructure wouldn't have been advanced enough to actually accept it. Oh, okay. So that's why they had to put a kind of a control on uh, on the net metering program. It's not because SAS Power was afraid of the competition necessarily. It's because the infrastructure just couldn't handle it. Right. It's a, it's an old infrastructure we have in place. Okay. So, so see what I found funny with uh, being nuclear power once it's up and running is the absolute cleanest yeah. Yeah. form of uh, electricity generation out there. Yeah. And, uh, and my daughter who's just turning twenty here this this spring, uh -huh. um, her and I had a talk about it. Of course, she's been drinking the Kool Aid all through yeah. the school system, so she's <laughs> yeah. she's very left wing. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so her and I talked about, it, about electricity, and yep. I said, well, well, what about nuclear? And even she had said, I really don't understand why the environmentalists are so against nuclear yeah. power. Yeah. So I thought, well, at least there's some hope for the younger generation. <laughs> that's right. They're starting so, to think, hey. So at least they understand yeah. that nuclear is clean. So, that's uh, right. Yeah. So that's yeah. good. At least I, I did not know that the infrastructure yeah. and was part of there. A so. big part of it is the infrastructure. Okay. And, uh, you know... Having said that, you know, unfortunately, Saskatchewan has to buy a lot of power uh, just to keep our needs up as well, uh, because what we have going isn't a, uh, isn't isn't meeting what we needs. We bought a bunch of electricity actually from Manitoba Hydro right. just recently. So uh, I met a fellow when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. I met a fellow who actually works in SAS Power, and his job is to buy power from other companies. Oh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was an interesting interesting conversation with I him. Bet. So so yeah, it's but it, it all boils back down to uh just what our infrastructure can handle as well. Okay. So and uh if we brought in a, a nuclear uh power plant, uh, we would essentially have to shut down all the other modes of electrical okay. generation. Right. So that's yeah, not very <laughs> not very practical. That's right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so further down our environment versus economy yeah. crusade here, yeah. we've got, and it just affected us here in Saskatoon a few days ago, where uh, 
protesters had blockaded uh, the intersection of Idlewild Drive and 22nd Street for yeah. a couple of hours. Right. Um, There's blockades all across the country for an LNG pipeline within the province of British Columbia yeah. that is the cleanest possible form of energy yeah. going through a pipeline. Natural gas, right? That yeah. will dis yeah. dissipate into the air if there's any kind of a That's spill. That's right, yeah. But there's protests going on. Mm -hmm. And these protests, unfortunately, are, are have expanded across the country to the point where <laughs> CN Rail's main line yeah. between Toronto and Montreal is shut down. Yeah. Via Rail Service is shut down. Yeah. And... I'm really concerned that uh, you spoke of leadership earlier, and that was yeah. part of my rant of the, the last episode oh, yes. was about, yeah. Yeah. is that we've got no leadership, and right now the inmates are running the asylum. Yeah, you got that right. Yeah. And is there anything we can do as a province to get the police to do their job and start throwing bodies in the back of squad cars? Yeah. Oh, I think it's uh, it, it's incumbent upon uh, on, uh, on the police to uphold the law. I think it's incumbent upon the Minister of Justice to ensure that the the police are are enforcing the law as well. So I, I again, I'm not a lawyer, so I, you know, th there may be some precedents that I that I don't know where this is maybe not plausible. But from from again my my perspective, uh, you know, the 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 minister of uh, the justice minister or the attorney general is the chief law enforcement officer in this province, right? And uh, so therefore, they should be. Therefore, they should be uh, enforcing the law, right? And um, so, sorry, Bixby was talking to me there. Oh, okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I, I think that there, there, there is a role. Even when you look at what's going on with the with the uh, strike that was going on or the lockout in uh, in Regina with Unifor, and there was a, a lot of illegal barricades. And uh, I, I uh, for the life of me, I don't understand why um, you know. Uh, the criminal code is pretty clear. Uh, you, yeah. to me, this uh, this uh, this almost is a definition of uh, terrorism in a sense. Well, I think Regina Police it's, Chief Evan Bray is going to uh, find himself yeah. in a lot of trouble over yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's going to be accountable for this in yeah. the end, and I don't think yeah. you're going to see him in yeah. his job a lot longer when the next contract. I, comes I, out. I tend to agree too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, uh, this was uh, left too long. It got to the boiling point where there was there was violence uh, happening. Uh, homes were vandalized. Uh, you know, people were threatened. Uh, uh, fellows, uh, a fellow who wasn't even involved with the strike, his uh, his picture was posted on social media by the union as being a, a replacement worker, and and uh, you know those those ki those tactics are what 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 happens with the mafia. It shouldn't be happening right. in, a, in a in a civilized society. And uh, really. Uh, Somebody should have stepped in sooner, and uh, you know, uh, I think the you know, maybe the premier was just trying to give them the parties the opportunity to go back to the table and uh, settle this. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it uh, it did it, it was left to fester too long, and uh, yeah. I was to the point at one point, and again, a lot of it might have been just out of frustration. But I said, you know, they should just convene the legislature, legislate a contract to these guys, and get them back to work because it was it was. It was just getting dangerous for public safety. Yeah. So now with, uh, going back to the blockades that are going on across the country, yeah. you and I are both old enough to remember what happened in Oka. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really concerned that we're going to 
Going back to going the same back way. To that. Absolutely. I mean, right. I, uh, yeah. I still have the, the, I can vividly picture in my mind uh, the when the paramilitary. Armed, well, yeah, when the Canadian Armed yeah. Forces came in, and I remember yeah. there was a stare down between one That's of the right. Mohawk warriors yeah. and the Canadian soldier. That picture is etched in me, I remember. Yeah, that yeah, forever. I'll never forget yeah. that that shot. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I don't want us to escalate to that level again. I know. Yeah. And without some real genuine leadership, that's yeah, exactly where gonna we're going to happen. It's going to happen again. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and God bless our military. I've, I've got nothing yeah. but love for the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah. But that's not what I want to utilize them for. That's right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, again, uh, you know, and uh, I do admit I, I haven't read deeply on, on the uh, on the blockade thing uh, that's going on now. But uh, again, it just comes right down to um, uh, it sounds like uh, some people have usurped uh, the whole idea of treaty rights and are trying to apply it apply it to uh, to this and people who may not even be involved with the treaty program itself, you know, or a lot of the same paid protests as you've yeah. seen at other projects. That's yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. And they just kind of move from one one group to another to yeah, you know, make their make their environmental claims. And I think that's that again, that's eco terrorism. Well, uh, and the shutting down government buildings like yeah. the legislature in Victoria yeah. and yeah. blocking the Halifax City yeah. Hall. And exactly. The one yeah. person had his arm right in Christopher Freeland's face, and yes, uh, yeah. As much as I have problems with Christopher Freeland, yeah, she as doesn't a, as a person, that. you yeah. have to respect the office. Right. And in my opinion, yeah. that that arm goes up in her face. There yeah. should have been a security officer should've, should've, grabbing that arm and putting handcuffs. That's on right, it. exactly right. Yeah, and the so fact it, that that's not happening is driving me insane. I know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, we just uh, our our leaders have to uh, uphold law. That's right. what it really boils down to. So it does. Yeah. Okay, so let's move into the fun part of uh, the interview here. Oh, okay. We'll get to, we'll this get, wasn't fun. This, this has been great <laughs> for, for a political nerd like me. This has been fantastic. So uh, I see we're getting close to the hour here, so okay. I want to try and keep all the fun in under an hour. Sure, sounds good. So let's get to know Ken Gray personally. You sure. were born and raised in Saskatchewan? Yeah, I was born and raised in Saskatchewan. Uh, I was born in uh, I was born here in Saskatoon, actually, uh, but uh, raised uh, on, a, on the family farm just outside of Clonsley, Saskatchewan. Uh, we had a, a mixed operation there. Uh, uh, we had uh, when I was growing up, we had about eighty head of cattle and uh, about ten quarter ten quarter sections of land. And uh, my uh, my dad and my uh, uncle uh, farmed uh, in a in a partnership arrangement. So uh, yeah, uh, the family farm is technically still in the family. My dad. Uh, my dad uh, has since passed, but uh, my uncle and my cousin are, are still operating the family farm okay. north of town. Uh, I was out there just a few weeks ago, actually, just to visit them, just to see how things are doing. Uh, I went to the uh, University of Saskatchewan. I, uh, I was in the College of Education. Uh, spent about three years there. Decided after three years I didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> um, ended up uh, transferring over, uh, uh, going into work into healthcare, and uh, that's where I found my groove. I I really quite enjoyed uh, working in healthcare. I started off as a as a care aide in a nursing home. Uh, spent ten years working there uh, in that capacity, or I should say nine years. Um, I then. Um, uh, uh, I don't want to say upgrade my skills. I changed my, my skill set, I guess. And I, I became a technologist uh, at the uh, Sleep Disorders Clinic here in, uh, at RUH, when it was at RUH in Saskatoon. I uh, worked there for another seven, eight years. Um, and then uh, just decided it was time to uh, try something else. And uh, I, I ventured off into sales for 
or dabbled in and out of sales, uh, whether it's insurance. I was in furniture sales for a while. Um, uh, I like talking. I like people, so it always uh, kind of helped uh, uh, in those in those fields. And then uh, I left uh, I left Saskatchewan uh, in two thousand and twelve, and I went to Alberta for a year. Uh, came back. I worked in the sleep industry in Alberta at a sleep clinic. It was actually the official sleep clinic of the Calgary Flames Hockey Club. If oh. you want to. <laughs> As a big Flames fan, I thank you for your service. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, came back to Saskatchewan, and um, I worked for a little while in the insurance industry. But then I got on uh, in the and um, uh, again, just kind of going back to my uh, care aid roots, I uh, got on with Regina Paratransit, which is a service of uh, bus service for um, operated by the city of Regina for uh, special needs folks, and uh, so I. I worked there uh, up until I became leader, and um, I, I still am technically on there, but I'm, I'm actually have been uh, hired as a uh, casual supervisor. So I'm a supervisor for uh, paratransit now. Uh, when when they call me and I'm able to come in, so oh, excellent. Yeah. Okay, so you've obviously had some really interesting career trajectories. Yeah. So what brought you into the political sphere? I've always been a political nerd, even when I was uh, young. Uh, when I was uh, in high school, uh, I was uh, always uh, the one that uh, people came to to help out with social studies. I, I read a lot of history. I read a lot of, uh, of, uh, of political stuff. Uh, I was just keenly interested in that. And part of the reason why I thought I'd would love to be a teacher was because I loved doing that as a kid, helping people out with social studies. So I thought, well, I'll just be a social studies teacher. And uh, I found out that it wasn't really, really something that, uh, that I truly, le truly loved. Uh, the political, uh, when I, when I was younger, ironically enough, when I was younger, my, um, uh, I was probably more on the left of, of things. And a lot of people are. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I like to talk that I finally have matured when I, when I, I think it was really when I, when I went into uh, private business and, uh, into sales and, uh, and really saw how business really works that I realized we can't have people just, you know, getting free government money and, you know, not doing things. It, to me, that's, uh, you know, I always had an issue with it as a farm boy. You kind of go, uh, but, you know, okay, I give you the benefit of the doubt if you can't work. But, you know, after, after I really experienced, and that's where really where my, where my you know, I, I won't call it financial literacy, but my just my understanding of economics kind of changed was when I was in the private sector. And you kind of, kind of realize that, uh, you know, when I'm a when I'm an insurance agent, I have to pay two CPP uh, premiums. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like what? what? Really? <laughs> and you kind of realize just how the, how the system is stacked. Um, you know, against uh, initiative uh, and people doing their full initiative, and uh, that's when I really started to have my my change at heart. Uh, uh, that you know. 
all those things my dad told me about, uh, you know, unions and socialists, uh, he was right. <laughs> so, so uh, I even remember back in my, my young days, I had a, had a friend who was quite a bit to the left of me, and uh, he, he said, at very best, you're a blushing liberal, that's it. <laughs> so, but uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, I, I really feel at home where I am now. Um, I, I don't feel like I have to defend programs that kind of run contrary to my uh, my beliefs anymore. And, uh, you know, I think the, the value of a society is what we as individuals put into it. And, uh, you know, if... Uh, That's really well said. That's a... I, I, I truly believe that. And I think it applies to just about everything. If, if everybody recognizes uh, their own, uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses, works on their weaknesses, builds on their strengths, society in itself will, I believe, be a lot better off. Um, I look at, and you can apply that to even the, uh, the, the eco people nowadays, you know, if... If people can really, if people want to look at the at the environment and want to do do something to you know reduce carbon, do that at your own level. And if everybody looks at it and says, "Yeah, you know, you're right," that that might be a weakness. We'll work on it individually. We'll do it. Putting government programs into place to force people to do something doesn't do a damn thing, in my opinion. Well, you know, like uh, it's funny when you say that. Uh... You, you got to know who Jordan Peterson is. I do, And yes. in the book 12 Rules it. for Life, which yeah. is uh, one of my favorite books right now because yeah. I just finished reading it. Oh, yes, yeah. When he I had the chapter, it talks about clean up your own room before you change yeah. the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you made me think of that when you, when yeah. you say that. Like, Ab absolutely. And, and uh, I love Jordan Peterson. Uh, sorry to hear what's what's happening to his health right now. But, but at the he's same the time, mend. he's yeah. on the mend. He's yeah. on the mend, and, and he's... he's, he's Right on. I love the fact that he speaks the truth like that and without without fear of consequence. And yeah, uh, and uh, well, but honestly, I mean, he's uh, he started life in Saskatchewan. He grew up yeah. in northern Alberta, but he is the quintessential prairie yeah. boy. He just shoots from yeah. the hip. He, Absolutely, he tells it like it is yeah. and doesn't really care what, he, yeah. what people think about yeah. it. Yeah, so. and, and you're right. He absolutely he he does say that, doesn't he? And uh, that's that's been my my belief, even when I was you know technically with the other side, right. I was, <laughs> I, I really felt that people, uh, I remember uh, one time I got chastised because uh, uh, I said at uh, one uh, social gathering that, you know, competition really is the best, uh, best thing for, you know, and, and these, these folks just jumped on me, oh, competition is terrible, I mean, that's, <laughs> and I'm going, no, no, it makes us stronger, it makes us better. It does, yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if people look at uh, competition and say, oh, poor me, I lost, well, I'm just going to go hide, that's, that's, that's on them. Yeah. That's on them. If you look at competition and say, oh, I didn't succeed here, well, now I've got some lessons and I can move forward and maybe correct those, you know, learn from those lessons, then you're going to be better off. Right. And... I apply that to just about everything I do nowadays, and that's how I envision what we do in the province. When we look at something like uh, government getting involved in, you know, building a big warehouse on site of Regina and nobody renting from it, <laughs> right. you know, there's a big lesson that, uh, wow, that's probably just not a really good idea. Yeah. And, and government should really just stay out of business. And, and so we just have to learn from those mistakes. Um, I get a lot. Uh, we were talking about what do we get uh, a lot of, uh, you know, from uh, 
from the past, and people like to try to associate me to the to the Grant Divine government. Right. Uh, number one, the Grant Divine government was a red Tory government, so uh, I, I I'm not a red Tory, you know. So that's number number two. I never voted for that government <laughs> back in those days, um, but they made a lot of mistakes. So even if we were the one, if that was the namesake of the party that, that was in government and made a bunch of mistakes here, um, we learned from those. We learned from them. We just, we just won't do them again. And, uh, you know, a lot of people went to jail back in those days for, you know, we, we, we learned from that kind of thing. You don't break the law when you're in government. Right. <laughs> you know, so um, government should not be above the law. And, uh, you know, some people, when they get into power, they, they forget that, it seems. So. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I think we'll wrap this up with uh, give you a chance to campaign a little. We've, we're okay. eight months away from an election, provincially. Yep. yep. And I'm assuming you're going to be running, uh, yep. if not a full 61 candidates, at least a healthy slate. We're, 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 we're halfway to 61 now, which, okay. is, uh, which is good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very relieved that we're not going to have an election earlier than October now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, we've, uh, uh, we're, we're really making some big strides. We have a number of nomination uh, conventions coming up. Good. We'll be nominating in the Prince Albert area in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, we've nominated in Kindersley constituency. Uh, we've uh, nominated uh, seven candidates so far in Regina. Okay. Uh, so we're uh, we're we're getting there. Uh, we're we're a little. Uh, I only had a year to prepare for this, so it's been uh, right. It's been uh, quite a uh, quite an experience, but we're we're getting there. We're gonna definitely have. We already have more candidates than we ran in two thousand sixteen. Oh, okay. So so that in itself is a is a big step forward. Um, I'm. Uh, so I'm, how about we uh, we segue this into saying that. Um, Give our listeners an idea why we should elect a Ken Gray progressive conservative government this yeah. fall. Yeah, well, because we're true conservatives. And I think that we really need to, number one, start looking at our spending in this province. Number two, looking at some real common sense issues. Do we need to be bringing in 200,000 people when we don't have the infrastructure for it? We really need to, uh, to kind of look at those kind of things as well. Um, and uh, number three, uh, we need to put Saskatchewan first. That's that's really what this all boils down to. Let's put Saskatchewan first, Saskatchewan businesses, Saskatchewan people. That's uh, that's really to me what it's all about. All the other parties will say it. Uh, the NDP will put Saskatchewan unions first. The um, uh, the Saskatchewan party will put you know Saskatchewan party supporters first. But <laughs> but we're standing up for uh, for the Saskatchewan people so that. You know, if the RM of Kwanzaa wants to build a road, they don't have to hire a company from, uh, you know, British Columbia to come and do it. Right. They can hire Joe Blow from from, from Meacham if they want. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what we will get. We'll get some common sense into this. Um, at the end of the day, we need to really uh, market. I think uh, our, um, our our rural areas as well. Um, not you know whether uh, you know and I'm not a big big fan of uh, of uh, throwing money to create industry, but we really need to do something in rural Saskatchewan to to get the economy moving out there because uh, it, it's just dying out there. And yeah. when you start losing industry, you start losing infrastructure, you start losing uh, hospitals, you start lo losing healthcare. Right. 
we can't let that happen. We we have so much opportunity out in, in our in our spaces to to develop some wonderful business initiatives. We just have to go out and find them. And uh, you know, so if we can do some uh, some uh, proper marketing of uh, of uh, just the quality of life that can happen in rural Saskatchewan, I think that uh, we can uh, we can move in that direction. So that's uh, that's my goals. I'm running in uh, the constituency of Last Mountain Touchwood myself so i'll be uh going out and doing a lot of door knocking there in the next few months uh just uh, getting myself better knowing out there and um you know again anybody who's uh, interested in joining the progressive conservative party come check us out we are the one party that has our policies uh listed on our website excellent <laughs> yeah so if you want to come and look at what we're about um that's uh, and really like i said i've been we've been working at uh re uh remolding a lot of the policies in the party so that's not an exhaustive list of what's right. what we stand for it's just kind of the beginning of our discussion so okay. if you're interested in, in starting in that discussion and taking part in that discussion um, hop on our website you can fill out a membership and become a member today and the website address is uh okay yeah Excellent. Well, Mr. Gray, thank you very much for joining us on Canadian Common Sense today. And Thanks for inviting me. And all the best in the 2020 election. Thank you very much, Tony. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thank you, Canada, yeah. for joining us. Uh, went a little over the time that uh, we were expecting, but I'm glad you hung in there, and we will see you on the next edition of Canadian Common Sense.